1: Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com.
0: Today on The Action Catalyst, we have my old friend J.T. Olson. J.T. is a social entrepreneur. He, in fact, is the founder and the director of Both Hands Foundation, and I'm going to let him describe exactly what Both Hands does. But this was preceded by a career more than 30 years in various business endeavors, JT is somebody that I've known for a long time, and his energy, his enthusiasm, his vision, and above all, his ability to bounce back from setbacks are the reasons that I really wanted him to be a part of this podcast today. Uh, JT's from a really big town, Harpers Ferry, Iowa, which I think is a suburb of a cornfield, (laughs) but he now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, JT, let's start in the present, if it's okay with you. And First of all, thank you for being on the Action Catalyst.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. My joy.
0: Well, that's exciting. Share with us a bit about Both Hands Foundation, kind of the the mission, the the purpose, the scope, and then we'll backtrack a little bit and then I'll let you talk about the founding of it.
1: Okay. Well, to, the easiest way to tell you is just briefly how it started. I was doing a charity golf event and um, sent letters out to people saying, would you sponsor me while I golf? And I had a guy who was in my Bible study. He sends that very same letter back to me, does not include a check, just scribbles on the letter. He says, JT, if you told me you were working on a widow's house, I might sponsor you, but you're just golfing. Nice cause, but not my money. <laughs> and, you know, it struck me as, wow, that is a really good idea. And, um, from that idea, a few years later, I run into a friend of mine, one of my old, actually students at Southwesternview worked with me. Um, He was adopting four kids from Moldova. He needed to figure out how to raise some money. And we put the idea into action. And we basically got about 14, 15 guys. We sent letters out to people saying, would you sponsor me while I work on this widow's house? And we found a widow, got all the supplies donated, and we spent the day working on her house. And in the process of fixing her house up, we ended up raising a bunch of money. I mean. You know, around seventy thousand dollars. Wow. And, and that that hit me as well, maybe this is a good idea. <laughs> maybe people will like this. And so I say that to help people understand the process. You know, what I do is I help families raise money for adoptions. And we do it by I coach them on gathering a team, getting that team motivated to send letters out. They find I help them find a widow in their community coach them through that process. And then they spend the day fixing up a widow's house just basically blessing her. And, uh, we started that 10 years ago. In fact, uh, 10 years ago yesterday was our actual anniversary. We started August 18th, 2008. And in 10 years now we've done, I love this part, Dan, we've done 828 projects in 42 States. We've, uh, served 914 widows and 1041 kids are closer to their forever families and in the process we've raised over 9.5 million dollars for families to use for adoption and all that money goes to the adoption we don't take anything out for our expenses so when i say 9.5 million that's all gone for adoption
0: that is such an incredible achievement I mean, it is national in scope, uh, over a 1,000 children, almost a 1,000 widows helped, and all because you got a big fat no on a fundraising letter.
1: <laughs> that's, that's right. I mean, you know, there's a proverb that said, wounds from a friend can be trusted. <laughs> and, you, you know what I mean? And this guy was speaking his mind, and I remember calling him up and saying, you know, we talked about it and laughed about it. He still didn't give me any money, but, <laughs> you know, because I tried closing one more time, but... Uh, the idea that he put in my head never left me. I just couldn't figure out all the pieces to it until I ran into Don.
0: Isn't that absolutely incredible? Oh, it's amazing. Well, well, listen, let's get in the time machine. If you don't mind, let's, let's go <laughs> back to Iowa. Uh, I know by the way, uh, listeners, JT has got a little bit more of his bio in detail in the book that was published not very long ago. It's called the widow, the orphan and me strongly recommend you pick that up because it is a story of how this social engineer really got started about his own faith walk and the many things that have happened within his own family people all understand that the roots of our present always start in our past and you grew up in harpers ferry iowa which is definitely a farming area it's a suburb to a cornfield you grew up with uh siblings with relatives nearby uh, spending time in church and school playing in the river the, the typical things that kids go through but you dealt with tragedy that nobody should ever have to go through even before you had just turned a teenager. Could you please share a little bit about that and the impact that you feel it had on you and the, the, the directions that you went after that?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, we have these fence posts or these spikes in our life and events that happen. And that was definitely one of them. I remember I was, I was 12 years old. It was 1969. I was in seventh grade and I remember one weekend in March, my mom and dad left to celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. And us five kids were all kind of farmed out to different places. And I remember that Saturday being brought home because they were coming home Saturday night and I'd spent the whole day playing in the barn. and I was dirty. So I had to go down the basement to change my older brother. He went upstairs and I remember sitting there, uh, bending over, unlacing my boots. And my brother came down the stairs. And I looked up at him and I said, are mom and dad home? And he looked at me and he said, mom and dad are dead. And I, I, I said, what? He said, mom and dad are dead. They were killed in a car accident an hour ago. And he turned around and walked upstairs. He had just found out himself. And I remember hitting the floor. I remember that cold cement floor crying like a, any seventh grader, 12 year old would, you know, you hear those words, but um, it definitely, it's the kind of thing that changes your paradigm in life. It just, you don't even realize the role your mom and dad play until all of a sudden you hear that they're gone. I mean, I know what it's like to be an orphan. I know what it's like to hear those words. I know what it's like to think who's going to take care of us, I know what it's like to wake up the next morning and really for the first 15 seconds, maybe you think it was a dream. And then you just fight like anything you got to make sure it's a dream. And then the the realization hits you, this is not a dream. Uh, This is real. And I remember that, that grief. And I also remember, I know what it's like to be rescued, too, though, because three months before the accident, my mom and dad and my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, they changed their will. And the wills basically said if anything would happen to one of the couples, the other couple would take them. Um, They lived in a very wealthy suburb of Milwaukee, and uh, they had three children of their own. Uh, They were both 33 years old, just started a business about a year earlier just to give you an idea what they were in. And all of a sudden they would got five more. They took all five of us in and wow. raised us as their own. Incredible. And when you talk about the effect, I mean, when I, I mean, I ended up going to the university of Wisconsin instead of the university of Iowa, you know, I don't know if I would have gone to Iowa, but I, that's where I ended up going because it was a state school. Um, and then I ended up getting into uh, to Southwestern, which was one of those spikes, those, important events that happened. And it was just an amazing, I don't know, the way God kind of has your path laid out for you. It was just amazing to me because I was raised on a farm till I was 12 and then in a suburb. So I got i got a little bit of both worlds there.
0: Yeah, you sure did. And, and for listeners who may not be familiar with Southwestern, JT is referring to the 150-year-old program now called Southwestern Advantage. The Southwestern Advantage works and has worked with literally 200,000 college students from all over North America and Europe and other parts of the world where they have their own businesses and they sell educational products door to door. JT got started back in 1975. And as I recall, you were in Los Angeles, California, big change from <laughs> Iowa and Wisconsin. and uh, You didn't have a car. You were knocking on doors in a big city. Is that true? That is true. I cut my teeth in Los Angeles County. Yes. that is, that is pretty incredible. And uh, that led to a very long career with Southwestern. Can you describe uh, just very briefly what you did in that role and some of the lessons learned and how you think those are applying to everything that you do today? Yeah. You know, one of the, I I, got to mention this turning point that happened at the end of my first summer,
1: Dan, because it really helped me realize it was one of those, you know, pages that get turned or the veil that gets dropped where you realize, Ooh, this is important to me. Because I remember riding back from the last meeting with my manager in the car, and I was watching Los Angeles go by. We were on the freeway, and I was thinking about everything I'd done that last three months and the money I'd made, the people I'd met, the friends I'd made, what I'd accomplished. And I turned to my student manager, Dick Justman, and I said, Dick, I just want you to know I'm really thankful for everything you've done, and you've really helped me, and I couldn't have done this without your help. And Dick just looked at me and says, ah, oh, JT, you'd have done fine, but you know, you're know, you welcome. And he just kind of turned back and started driving. And then in the ensuing silence, you know, I sat there and thought about it. And the thought hit me, he must really feel good right now. If he doesn't feel good, it's because I did not effectively communicate my gratitude because he had had an impact on my life and and, and put it in a different, totally different direction because you know, if I had gone home for the summer, I'd have gone down a whole different path. And the next thought hit me. Wonder what it would be like if someone felt that way about me. What would it be like if I could have that kind of an impact on someone's life? And that's when it started to hit me that, huh, maybe I could stay in this business a little longer.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you, so you're about 19 years old and you suddenly realize that in business you can have an impact on people and change their lives just as yours have been changed.
1: Yes. And it was eye-opening and it was exciting and scary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I know that that led to a a long and distinguished career here where you became uh, not just a district sales leader, but a regional sales leader. You you developed a number of strong leaders, a lot of great salespeople who all give you credit for the success that they've had in their lives. Um, And it's all about contribution. So on behalf of the company, we are so grateful for everything that you do and continue to do in supporting and promoting what we do. I know you've had a couple of your own children go out and sell books, so uh <laughs> that's kind of adding back to the program too. Yes, I still believe in the program firmly. I think it's a
1: great opportunity and and just I just can't thank Southwestern, well really all the people that I worked with in those 23 years uh that poured into my life, uh that 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 add to what I could do and and really helped me accomplish a lot of those things. We did a lot of it together.
0: Yeah, so You've given back with your own kids in the program, which which I think is great. Um, Now, JT, after you made the decision to change careers away from Southwestern Advantage, uh, part of it was to be an entrepreneur. And I think this is going to be an instructive set of lessons because your entrepreneurial venture, your first one, let's just put it nice as we can, it really failed and it sapped a lot of your resources. Can, Can you tell us about Subliminal Inc.?
1: Yes, Uh, it was an exciting idea because when I left Southwestern, I didn't leave because I didn't like what I was doing. I left because I had four kids at home and the job just took me on the road too much. I didn't want to be on the road. So I was interviewing for different jobs, sent resumes out, and I had a friend of mine put some extra little subliminal words on my resume and it said, He's your man. You know, this is the one, choose him. You know, it was subliminal messages and it was really pretty effective. And someone called me up and said, JT, we don't have a position for you, but I love this resume paper. Where'd you get it? And I said, well, I made it up. And he said, you ought to sell this. Well, I took that idea and decided to pour some resources into it. Hired somebody, hired a couple people actually to to sell it. We actually got that resource. We got that resume paper in about 25 stores, but it really wasn't uh, going the way it should have been. So I had to fold that after about a year.
0: Now, one of the key lessons in the Action Catalyst is how people bounce back from defeat and how they bounce back from setbacks. Can you share a little bit about the process you went through to keep that that literal defeat in business from sapping your energy? I mean, you had four kids at home. You were the, you were the support of the family. Uh, what did you do mentally, emotionally, and then in terms of action to get yourself back going again instead of falling into despair?
1: Well, actually, you know, when you talk about the four kids and being in charge of, you know, bringing home the bacon, so to speak. That was a pretty strong motivation. I don't know. I just felt a a strong responsibility. I said, I don't have a choice. I go back to my Southwestern roots on that dam. And it just wasn't like, oh, is there an option to do something else? Is there an option to quit? No, it's not. That's that's not an option for me. It never was. And uh, this wasn't an option either. And I remember thinking, okay, I can probably make some money in the recruiting business because I used to do a recruiting job. So I figured I was I was good at that and had some advice and some help getting things started. And we started rolling with that.
0: And that was the origin of Haystack, which was a, a search firm yeah. you specialized, I think, working with Oracle programmers and really high tech fields, things that you really knew a lot about, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, did I not know what I was getting into. But boy, it sure was exciting and we learned a lot and, and, uh, ended up doing that for about 10 years, I think.
0: Right. And you grew a team and you were definitely impacting people's lives as you would place them into different careers. But there was, uh, there was something significant that happened that got you involved in realizing that maybe ministry was the direction you want to go. Can you share a little bit about maybe the mission trips and the impact of other people that had on you? Well,
1: yeah, I, I mean, just, one thing that had an impact on me was in 2003 we adopted a little girl from China.
0: Aha. Okay,
1: and that opened my eyes up to the need of how many orphans there were in the world. It also opened my eyes up to how much it cost. Um, but I remember adopting Gracie, and it was just you know, do we do this? It wasn't like we were making lots of money. We didn't have a, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't really have a lot. We really went on faith. And uh, the more I learned about all that, the more uh, it just drove me forward and saying, you know, if, if we're going to adopt and let's let's do it, but let's help other people do it, too. Um, and that put me in a, a a nonprofit called Bethany Christian Services, where I was, you know, uh, helping other people in a in a way that any way I could. But it wasn't until I did the golf tournament for Bethany that it really opened my eyes up to there might be another way to serve people.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's when you got that fabulous letter saying, you're doing something for (laughs) widows. That is just absolutely incredible. So you were 52 at this point, is that right? Yep. Okay. I was 52. And you'd already had a career of accomplishment, of contribution, of putting into people's lives. What does a person do that is 52 years old, starting from Brand new scratch was something you really didn 't know much about except through personal experience. Um, what was the process because from that point to this, celebrating your tenth anniversary this week and having over a thousand kids helped almost that many widows helped uh, millions yeah. of dollars raised, and setting it up in such a way that all the money goes to adoptions and that you don 't take any of it out for your own support absolutely incredible so what was what was the process of growing and scaling and some of the setbacks you had to overcome in the midst of that?
1: Well, it was after that first project. And that first project, you know, that was in 2007. That was kind of like a just a low-cost probe is what we would call it, <laughs> you know, uh, just to see what would happen. I had no idea that I would be doing that for a career. We just did it. But I remember how good it felt. And I compared how I felt after that project to how I felt when I was going to work every day. And Dan, it didn't compare, it, it, it didn't even come close. I thought this fills me with life. And a, about six months after that project, another friend of mine, old Southwestern guy came up to me and said, I heard you did with Don, would you help me? And uh, so we did another project. And I remember that project. I remember we pl- replaced a roof and that was in April of 2008. We, I walked up on that roof and I looked around and I remember standing on that roof, counting all those volunteers. There was 52 people surrounding that lawn and just doing a makeover on this widow's house. I counted 19 cars out on the streets and it took me back to the farm. I remember a couple of weeks after the accident, before we'd moved in with my aunt and uncle, I was getting off the bus from school and our bus stop's kind of on a hill. You can see a lot of our farm from it. And I remember getting off the bus and there were all our neighbors in our fields with their tractors and their plows and their discs and their drags and their planters and they were planting our crops. And I, I never forgot that. And as I stood in that roof and I looked at all those cars and those people, and I thought, man, this is living. You know, I have been the recipient on the receiving end of a foot washing before. And I said, it feels good, but it feels even better to be given the foot washing. <laughs> And it was that night we went out to dinner, my wife and I went out to dinner and I was talking to her about everything and told her, I think we should do this and we should do this full time.
0: So one of the things that uh, can sometimes happen is that a message can get diluted. You know, you've had projects now, I think you have said in 44 states, that's about the right number. You're not carrying shingles at every one of those. So how do you do to keep the messaging clear, the systems consistent so that the the widow is helped, and that the orphans are adopted. The money is raised, and everything flows. Any general thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I got a, a couple thoughts. One is we've got a staff. Um, I surrounded myself with a bunch of millennial staff. There's there's four of them. One of them is part time operations, but we have a marketing person, we have a family project coordinator, and I have someone who helps him with uh, development and is my assistant and does a whole lot of other stuff too. It just They're really good. And I listen to them. I mean, they told me to wear skinny jeans. Now I wear skinny jeans once in a while. Okay. (laughs) Um, Funny. But but, no, they, um, and and they with the board, we always are reminded, what do we do? We help families raise money. um, And we do it by working on a widow's house. Now, honestly, There are two other branches that I envision happening. Like, number one, I believe there's a whole college campus division, you know, where fraternities and groups and sororities want to do a a service project. I think the both hands model would work perfect for that. We should have a college division. And I also think when you've got 918 widows that you've served, there's something there, too. But those are two different divisions. That's an example. When I bring that up at board meetings you know, they're, they don't shut them down, but someone on the board always says, remember what we do. We help families raise money for adoptions and we do it by working on a widow's house. So the board keeps me in line. You know, my staff keeps me in line because I have a tendency to think we could do that and then we could do that. And we could do that. Um, but we have, we have focus on what our mission is. And, uh, I just, I, I have a good staff. I'm very fortunate.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful lesson for anybody as they grow their organization is stay true to mission. It's so easy to let it creep into lots of other areas or expand. And when that happens, it gets blurry. And what you focus on is we help people with adoptions and we do it by serving widows. It's really clear. It's really consistent. That's fantastic. Yeah. And there's
1: one other area we're thinking about, uh, we're in the process of developing because it's important, Dan. Can I, can I just mention that? Yes, of course. Post adoption expenses, because the government doesn't let you deduct any of those things. But so many of these people, they adopt kids, whether it's domestic, or international, and there's issues and they sometimes they need health care. Sometimes they need um, some mental care, you know, um, psychological help. Um, and we're hopefully able to open that up now to maybe families do products to take care of these kids after they get home.
0: Well, that is still very consistent with the original mission. It's making sure not just the adoption, but that their new life takes place as it should. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, well, let's, let's segue real quick, if you don't mind, into the area of self-motivation. Uh, <laughs> you have done so many things as a motivator, uh, countless people that you've impacted and you continue to today. But what do you do when you feel like you're losing focus? Or what do you do when you feel like the discouragement is just so heavy? How do you get out of that? That's a really powerful thing for our listeners, and I know you're awesome at it.
1: You know, <laughs> sometimes I do my little self talk that I have to do. Used to do in the book field, Dan. You know, I, I it's a little bit different than, you know, I'm going to see 30 families a day. But you know, I, but I do say, uh, you know, I am alert, alive, friendly, causal, firm, enthusiastic. I mean, I do give myself pep talks. But the 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 main thing I just remind myself of. Is that I just want to make an impact. I want my life to be worth something. And then when it's all over, you know, to know that it wasn't wasted. You know, the picture that I have in my head is Satan he gets up in the morning, he goes around with his little minions and he gets to my name. I don't want him checking the box that says, not a threat. You know, I want him mm. thinking, ah, crap, he's up again. You know, that's what I want. And I just want to make an impact.
0: Yeah. Well, if want to leads to achievement, you are achieving your want to, my friend. (sighs) I think it's fantastic. So you remind yourself of your purpose. You are completely 100% faith-driven to overcome the tempter, who is the source of all mediocre thoughts and mediocre actions. And I think that's absolutely stunning. What would you say to people, JT, that are feeling discouraged? you know, you've shared a little bit about what you do, but somebody who has tried in their business or tried in their entrepreneurial venture, and it just seems like they're getting brick wall after brick wall, nothing's happening. What are some steps you might guide them to go through?
1: Man, I, you know, there's a couple psychological ones and a couple you know, real practical things. I guess the first thing I would encourage people to do is to just count their blessings, because I think that's when, when we start, when I start getting discouraged, I remind myself. That uh, I'm still alive, I'm breathing, I have food, I have uh, gas for my car, I have a car, I got a family. I mean, you could go on and on and on about all the things we have. And that kind of keeps me away from ever feeling sorry for myself. Uh, But I think it's important too, if you're in that situation, you know, meet with a friend and tell them what you're thinking and maybe invite that friend to be very honest with you and tell you, here's some things that I see that might be holding you back. (coughs) Excuse me. So Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, those are two things. And I know it's count your blessings and someone probably hears that if they're depressed or if they're down, but I really do think it's important to keep things in perspective. And, uh, when I think about what I've been given and, uh, would I have the potential to give? Even the gifts I've been given is where does God want me to develop those gifts? You know, and sometimes people are in areas, I've been in those areas. I mean, I enjoyed the recruiting business, but Dan, those 10 years I did that recruiting business, it wasn't my sweet spot. I was probably using honestly about 20 to 25% of my gifting, my skills and my ability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you're in the maybe you need to change where your, where your focus is, find out what what you're really good at, what's important to you, what makes you get fired up and pursue it.
0: And that can change a bit as we go through different stages of our career. But the one common, the one commonality that you've had has always been taking care of others, whether it's your own family, which you have striven mightily and done a brilliant job with, or whether it is serving others, either as a recruiter, Uh, as a leader in Southwestern Advantage, and of course, you're doing it every day with widows and orphans, which is fantastic. It's all about others. That part hasn't changed, even though your field of play might have.
1: Yeah, I just, honestly, it all goes back to that ride in the car with my student manager when I said thank you. I thought, that must feel pretty good.
0: Yeah. Well, and it shows in the gratitude because you have adopted that into your life, which is fantastic. Well, JT, I can't believe how quickly this time goes. Uh, Your energy has energized me, and I'm sure that has all of our listeners as well. Uh, Thank you for being a beacon of encouragement. Thank you for being a faith model. Thank you for being somebody that is so focused on others that he forgets his own pain. And you're human and you've had pain. And to be able to move beyond that, knowing that at the end of the day, we want to face our maker and say, how'd I do? And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you have, in fact, been that. So my thanks to you. And uh, one more time, what is this thing that starts with, I feel alert? Say that just a little slower so we all get it.
1: I'm alert, alive, friendly, cordial, firm, and enthusiastic. I dare any of you to say that 10 times.
0: (laughs) I'm alert. (laughs) I'm alert, alive, friendly, cordial firm, and enthusiastic. I'm loving that. Well, JT, thank you for sharing your affirmation with us. It is golden. It is timeless. And I'm inspired. So on behalf of all of our listeners, thanks so much for bringing the Action Catalyst to a new point. Thank you for your work and bless you and your service. Oh,
1: it was an honor to be here, Dan. Thank you so much for including me. It was, it was a joy, man. Keep up the good work.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.